We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Baseball starts up on Thursday, NBA playoffs uh, begin with the play-in tournament this coming week. So make sure you are doing that at winbet and winbet.com. A lot to get to, Alex. Uh, as the fantasy season comes to an end, uh, you know we'll probably drop down to, to one or two episodes per week from our usual three in season. Uh, we'll kind of record as necessary, you know, depending on what goes on night to night in the NBA playoffs. But uh, as the regular season comes to a close, we have all 30 teams in action this coming Sunday. It's going to be insane from a news perspective. Not exactly looking forward to the the hurricane of uh, new starting lineups and guys resting mm-hmm. that's coming our way. But uh, after that, it calms down significantly. We got no games on Monday. And then, of course, the play-in tournament begins on Tuesday. Uh, so we'll hit a few news items. We'll we'll do a, a brief, hopefully, post-mortem on the L.A. Lakers, who were officially mercifully eliminated uh, from that play-in tournament with their loss last night and a win by the Spurs. Uh, and then we'll get into, you and I both wrote on uh, 2022-23 fantasy drafts this week. And we kind of took a look at uh, guys who you know are potentially going to be first-round picks, guys who were first-round picks this year and disappointed. Uh, so we'll, we'll look at a, a pretty sizable group of players uh, who are going to be in contention for a top-12 selection uh, in, what, four or five months now, I guess, until 2022 draft season. Yeah, I um, it was kind of a tough exercise. There were just, I mean, between all the missed games, um, you know, some guys who changed teams, it's not going to be easy to to kind of sort through like who is going to be worthy of a, a you know a first round pick this season because you have some like you have some guys really throwing a wrench into things like Dejounte Murray. Um, I'm sure Harden's still going to be a first round pick, but how people feel about Harden now, you have Tyrese Halliburton clearly being like 
if he ends up actually being the focus of Indiana's rebuild, he's going to put up some insane numbers. So um, I think next season is going to be really interesting. Yeah, that was a good tease. We'll, we'll get to that in the second half of the pod. But uh, a couple of news items. Lonzo Ball officially done for the year. Not great news uh, when you don't even know how long the season is progressing. Like for all we know, the Bulls could be playing into mid-June and they're like, he's not coming back no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's how bad the re- rehab from the torn meniscus has gone uh, for Lonzo Ball. There was an initial ramp up period in mid to late March where they were hoping to have him back around the end of that month. And I, I think there was some swelling or some discomfort in that knee. So they shut him down for another week or two and then tried to, I guess, re-ramp him up recently and essentially ran into the same roadblock, it sounds. And the Bulls initially stopped short of officially ruling him out. And then like 10 minutes later, Woj came in over the top and is like, yeah, he's not coming back. Classic. uh, This is just becoming an insane trend in the NBA where a team puts out some like vague report and then five minutes later, some reporter, yeah, just basically (laughs) just swoops in and is like, "Uh, I don't know why they're putting this out. Like this guy's actually never playing basketball. People again. people do not know our plight having to deal with this day to day where you know the injury reports come out once an hour. They come out from like it might even be 24 hours at this point. There's no updates really yeah. overnight, but they come out halfway through each hour. So 9:30, 10:30, 11:30, whatever, all the way, you know, through 11:30 p.m. And there are so many times where, you know, the big ones are like 4:30 and 5:30s where you get a ton of injury news. The 4:30 injury report will come out It'll say Chicago Bulls, no injuries to report. And then two minutes later, the team account will tweet out a list of like seven injuries. I, I do not understand what's going on behind the scenes. But but anyway, we, we digress. Lonzo Ball, please. Yeah, this is tough. Uh, yet another meniscus injury kind of just lingering for a long time and not healing. Um, like Wiseman. I, it really is tough for the Lakers because I think they do need like all of their guys to be like, I think they can get by all right with like just Caruso and Dasunmu and White because those guys have they have for as like not amazing as their backcourt is, uh, or I should just say their point guard position, uh, they have good depth there at least, so they can survive without Lonzo. But he really was like a uh, him and Caruso were like defensive anchors for them, um, you know, in the front court because Vooch isn't that great of a defender at the rim, so you're kind of protecting him by having those good defenders out there, and the rest of their team was so offensively tilted. I think it'll just be tough for them ultimately to to be really competitive defensively in the playoffs. And if you're not competitive defensively in the playoffs, you're not going to, I just don't think you can make any real noise. This team is lucky. It won so many games early on because they are six and 13 over their last 19 games. Uh, so essentially since the all-star break, uh, they have been a team that's winning one out of every three games. And you know, they're, they're probably going to finish in that six spot. They're one game behind Toronto right now but it felt like not that long ago we were talking about chicago miami you know milwaukee philly like which of these teams is going to get the one seed and not only has chicago fallen out of that discussion but they've they've plummeted you know now they're one of those teams that i think if you if you're milwaukee or you're boston or you're philly they're all tied right now at 49 and 30 uh boston is is currently the two based on tiebreakers like i i think at this point it's safe to say you are very much okay getting the three or the four and I always feel like there is some like karma implications to, you know, trying to, to finagle things down the stretch to get a certain seed. Like more often than not, that seems to come back and bite teams. But now that we know the Nets are for sure going to be the seven or the eight, assuming they qualify, and it's looking pretty likely that the Raptors and the Bulls are going to be the five and the six. I, I say that, you know, that's the green light now to try to aim for that three or that four spot. 
I think so. I mean, uh, Bulls without Lonzo on the court are a negative point differential team. They're just not a winning team. So obviously, if you're talking playoffs, that's a you'd want to face them. Um, and I think as good as DeRozan, I mean, DeRozan in the playoffs will be interesting to see because he does make those tough shots. So he's he's tough to defend, but not really scared of anybody else on that team. Like Levine has his moments, but Levine is also hurt, right? Levine's yeah. got a knee issue that he's playing through, and Caruso came back like what two three weeks ago patrick williams just got back and that is actually huge for them um especially when you're going up against like he'd be he'd be the person guarding like jason tatum he'd be the person guarding uh kevin durant in theory in these playoff series right Right. siakam whoever um but yeah i mean as far as like cleveland goes You'd be more scared of Cleveland defensively if they managed to get Mobley and Allen back. I mean, that's still a really intimidating front court, but um, the rest of their team is like not. Yeah. I feel like they're still not a great offensive team. Yeah, it's unfortunate the path that both Chicago and Cleveland seems to be taking toward the end. Where it's, did both these teams peak too early? Was it a little bit a little bit too good to be true? I, I think with with the Cavs, especially, you could point to injuries. You know, losing Jared Allen was huge, and, and then losing Mobley, you know, shortly after essentially wiped out all of their center depth. And, you know, now they're, they're almost certainly locked into the play. And if not locked in already, I'm trying to do the mental math uh, They're but they're going to finish seventh in the Easter conference. And, you know, now that means you're, you're in the play in your, they'll still likely qualify, I think, but it, it wouldn't be shocking. You know, if it's seven, eight Cleveland, Brooklyn, you know, most people I think would pick Brooklyn in that game. And then you're, you're sent to a one game playoff against either Atlanta or Charlotte. And if both those guys aren't back or even if, if one of them's back or they're, they're not hundred percent, that is a very losable game. So like it, it's quite possible that Cleveland, which was really the darling of the Eastern conference for the entire season up until the last two weeks could really end up missing the 18 playoff field. Yeah. Um, Cleveland, if I'm looking at this right, has a 63% chance of being the seven. Um, maybe I'm reading this wrong. I feel like that has to be higher. Given it's on the... basketball reference. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, sixty three percent chance to be the seven and forty seven percent chance to be the yeah. I don't know what I'm looking at, but yeah, I mean this is tough for them. I think I the thing is the both of these teams like the expectations for them very low. Like I was probably higher on the Bulls than a lot of other people, but the general expectation for the Bulls was like low and for Cleveland. So that the fact that you even got here, uh, like in the playoffs, and oh yeah. It's just, I mean, that's a huge win, and especially for the for Cleveland, you know, their first playoff berth without LeBron since, you know, I don't even remember what year. It's been like the 90s or something. Um, that's huge, and I think they're making really good steps as a team, and yeah. Chicago, like, they, they kind of dig it different ways, right? Cleveland has been building up this, they drafted relatively well with Garland and Mobley, or very well, I should say, with those two, and then they added... You know, they added Allen through just like kind of a no-brainer trade. And the Bulls just went kind of all out with like, let's just get guys, let's just get really good players and figure out the rest later. And so the kind of different approaches got them to nearly the same spot. But I think they're both set up pretty well for for the, especially next season. Yeah, I mean, the Cavs, I think, especially are positioned well. Um you know, really probably don't get enough credit for how they got Jared Allen, which was basically just sticking their neck out and saying like, Hey, you know, if, if this guy's going to be included in the trade, we'll take him essentially. For free. <laughs> right. And I mean that, I mean, that's looking like an all-time robbery. And you think about 
you know, what if Brooklyn had been able to hang on to Jared? Allen? Like how much better would we feel about the Nets if he was the starting center yeah. instead of this like bizarre rotation of Nick Claxton and LaMarcus Aldridge, if he's healthy, Blake Griffin every now and then, um, you know, that that's huge. It, it not only shifted things for, you know, the future of the Nets, but shifted things massively in favor uh, of the long-term future for the Cavs. But I want to go back to Lonzo real quickly and I, I need to get my tab straight here. I'm on the big baller brand <laughs> website. We were trying to determine <laughs> if they're still selling shoes. And the answer is a resounding yes. They are selling several styles of shoes on the Big Baller brand website, uh, most of which seem to be modeled by LeVar Ball. He is pictured mm-hmm. on the homepage with two other men who look to possibly be his brothers. Un- unclear what's going on. Um, but if you know, we, we haven't really checked in on Big Baller brand in quite some time. Lonzo specifically, though, these are his game totals now through five NBA seasons. 52, 47, 63, 55, and now this year, a career low of 35 games. And to be fair, two of those seasons were cut a little bit short, um, you know, 2019 and 2020 due to COVID. But still, I mean, he's not been a beacon of health by any means. And, you know, you, you brought up an interesting point earlier. You know, like, is, is there some long-term effect of wearing big baller brand shoes? Like, did that permanently <laughs> warp his feet or ankles or knees to the point where this is just who he is? Uh, I was, I mean, tongue in cheek, but you never know, honestly, like when you're, when you're doing athletics, any athletics at that high of a level level with clearly improper equipment, uh, it will, it will probably have effects on you. Like he was, there is a story and I, I didn't Google it, but it was either every quarter or every half during summer league. He had to change uh, his, his big baller brand shoes. Like he had to just put on a new pair because like eight minutes of competitive basketball ripped them to shreds. Um, which is insane. But yeah, I mean Lonzo, Lonzo, when he's been on the court, has been a really good player. I I like I, I think we're kind of past the point where people think Lonzo is like I think we I think we all kind of now understand who Lonzo is as a player. We're like post big baller brand hype. And I think we're past like, oh, this guy, maybe this guy will live up to his expectations as the number two pick in the draft. We're past all that. I think he has settled into like a very good role for him moving forward, but you're right. The problem is he just, he can't stay healthy. Um, And at this point you're dealing with like a a meniscus issue that isn't going away. So, you know, sometimes like freak accidents happen, right? Like people, some people just sprain their ankles all the time. Some people, you know, you you sprain your wrist or you break a finger um, but for him, it's really persistent. And now when you're dealing with an act, like a true injury um, that won't heal properly, I think now you can actually start having some concerns to where like maybe this guy's body just isn't right. ready, like is not made for the NBA. So where do you draft a guy in fantasy next year who was 26 in per game value this year? Yeah. Really, really good. You know, high volume three point shooter. The free throw percentage has come a long way and he doesn't take that many. So even if he goes through a rough stretch, it's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, free, the three point percentage was up over 42%. I think that went kind of undercovered. Uh, and then he set a career high with 1.8 steals. So right. the per game numbers are there, but you know, out in total value, when you're considering he's going to miss more than half of the season, he's going to finish outside of the top 160. So like, at what point does that risk become worth the potential reward? Uh, I feel like, I mean, the, the more I've played fantasy, the more uh, aggressive I've gotten earlier, but, and so like for me, the cutoff to the point where I think you can just really start making, uh, just almost pure upside decisions. Obviously you don't want to be like completely unreasonable, but I think once you get to pick six, 
Um, you know, if you just go back and look at over the years, like if you look at projections or, or like ADP versus final rankings, um, after like even maybe even the fourth round, sometimes it's just complete. It's just sometimes it's just completely up in the air. So I think I think you could probably. Well, I mean, once it's the sixth round, I'm just going to be comfortable taking him yeah. at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a concerning track record at this point where, you know, when, when he's still so young, like you don't want to throw him in like that Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving zone. But I mean, until you string together, you need at least two seasons back to back where you're playing 70 plus games yeah. to to really dissuade that kind of reputation. But, you know, again, we, he's one of those players that, I mean, until until this latest injury, looked like was going to be a huge bargain. You know, he was on course to finish like top 30, top 40 in fantasy. Everything was going to go great. So I don't know. There, there's going to be someone who, you know, one of these years, he's probably going to play 70 games and he's going to be a steal, but I think he's going to be, you know, end up being available at a discount in a lot of leagues. All right. It is that time again to make some picks on monkey knife fight for a slightly smaller Wednesday night NBA slate, just six games on the schedule after Tuesday night's Monster 12 Gamer. Uh, we are going to go back to a trusty 2x2 two two contest. We hit both of these. We're looking at 3.6 times our buy-in amount. Uh, we're going to go to a single game contest on Monkey Night Fight. You can play the whole slate, or you can choose a singular game to hone in on. And we're going with what I think is the best game of the night, Boston at Chicago. And we start with DeMar DeRozan. His points prop is set at 27.5 points tonight. I'm going to go less. On DeRozan. I know he's coming off of 40 just last night in that loss to Milwaukee. He had 26 before that, 50, 32, and 37 points in his previous three games. So the scoring's been up, but Zach Levine is back in the lineup tonight. He did not play last night. Chicago playing on the second night of a tough back-to-back, going up against the number one defense in the NBA in the Boston Celtics. Boston has a ton of long, capable defenders to throw at DeMar DeRozan. So I think with Levine back, I'm going less on 27.5 points for DeMar DeRozan. On the other side of this game, we have Al Horford. 7.5 rebounds is the number for Al Horford. I'm going to go more here. We're going to go one more. I'm going to go more here. He's gone over this number in each of his last three. That, of course, coincided with Robert Williams going down with that meniscus injury. So they've had to play Horford more minutes, I think, than they would like. He's played 34, 34, and 30 minutes, respectively, over those three games. And on top of that, the Bulls are not a good rebounding team. Outside of Nikola Vucevic, not a ton of options that you love in that front court. Chicago is 27th in the NBA in rebound percentage since the break. That is not very good. We're going more on 7.5 rebounds. We're going less on DeMar DeRozan, 27.5 points. We go 2 for 2. 3.6x our buying amount on Monkey Knife Fight. And make sure you're using our code RWNBA. That'll get you a free $10 NBA contest credit. Let's touch on Zion real quickly. I think we've been tracking the Zion story more closely than any <laughs> news outlet in the world. Uh, his stepfather, who I, I just learned is named Lee, Lee Anderson, uh, was on a show called the Jordy Colota Show. Uh, a it looks like a YouTube show based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, for some reason, he was on that show this week. And it, it sounds like he's finally spreading some optimism about Zion's future, specifically in New Orleans. And he said, quote, I do expect him to play. Uh, if you were to ask Zion, I'm sure he'd probably tell you the same thing. And the implication there is that uh, he will be playing for the Pelicans next season. So do, do you buy that at all? Does this mean anything? I, I don't know what Jordi Colada's uh, reputation is as far as journalism. Um, I really have no idea. Um, no, see you, 
so you you read it wrong and i hate to i hate to do this to you on the podcast if stepdad expects zion to play for the pelicans this season this season this this season is the headline the the season that ends in four days yes okay so um that that to me is the shocking part um you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm actually, personally, I usually don't do this. I'm going to report. Uh, this is this is me reporting via Rotowire. Zion Williamson will not play this season. Um, which I, <laughs> again, this just, I, I don't know. Like, is it is it really going to come down to the wire? Like, are they, is the Zion thing from day one of the NBA season, actually before day one, is every Stagus update, and every like timeline update, is it just going to be false for, for the entire season until the literal final game that the Pelicans play? The actual final game is when they'll be like, Zion's out for this game. He's not coming back. Is that when it's finally going to happen? So, I mean, the only plausible scenario here, I guess, is that if they were to make it out of the play-in, you know, he could potentially come back in round one, I guess, because, you know, you're, the play-in basically takes up a full week. Round one doesn't start until that following Saturday or Sunday. And, you know, that could potentially be a seven-game series, although unlikely, considering he'd be playing the Suns or the Grizzlies. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the door's open, I guess. It's it's certainly strange that, you know, Zion's dad would kind of come out of the woodwork to say this out of nowhere. Like, there's there's been no, like, corroborating reports. Right. You know, like ESPN wrote up a story on his comments, but I haven't seen, you know, Woj or Andrew Lopez or NOLA.com, you know, comment and say, like, yes, this is realistic. Like, it just kind of seems like he said this and no one's really verified whether it's actually real. Yeah. And I mean, the only again, like the only thing we've gotten, like the, the, the article on ESPN that this is from. The only like video, anything associated with this is just the this video of Zion shirtless and sweatpants doing a between the legs dunk at the Pelicans practice facility, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, I, I don't know if that like, that's good that he can do that. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was a shocking headline. It's just like a very indicative. Uh, it's just very representative yeah. of like the entire uh, saga that has been Zion Williamson's status this year. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The dream scenario would have been Zion coming back for a do or die play in game against the Lakers. <laughs> but that is that is unfortunately now out the window. The Lakers were eliminated last night. Uh, like th- talk about going out with a whimper. Like this is the all time going out with a whimper situation. Um, I mean, the Lakers have been by most metrics, a bottom five team by some metrics, a bottom three team since the all-star break, they have four wins since the break. At one point they were 27 and 31. They are now 31 and 48. This has been a disaster season. Um, I, I don't, I mean, for a while there, there was kind of the, well, at least LeBron is having a great season at age 37. Like look at what he's doing individually people have now turned on him for that. And it's turned into like, wow, look at LeBron's stat padding. Like he's just going to play enough games to get the scoring title. And he's right as of right now, he's not even the league's leading scorer. Joel Embiid took over last night. So that too may be out the window. Um, I, I just, there were a lot of people that were skeptical that this would work myself included yourself included. There were a lot of people that picked the Lakers to finish somewhere between like fifth and eighth in the Western conference. I don't think there was a single person that deep down thought it would go this badly. I mean, this team's probably not going to win another game the rest of the way. And they're likely going to finish 31 and 51. And I I keep bringing this up because I'm just amazed by it. They're going to go what the final 43 games of the year without winning back-to-back games. Crazy. That, um, that's a shocking number that I I can't even, it's hard to really fathom. Uh, we said it last podcast, but like, I, I don't know what the record, the previous record for that is, but it seems, uh, <laughs> this, well, one of those like Sixers has- teams did win a whole year without winning back-to-back games. I actually, I looked that up. Yeah. But a team that was like supposed to be good. I don't know, man. I, I do. How much of this do you, do you really think just falls on the, on the back of Westbrook? Uh, a decent amount, but you know, not, not, as much as I would have said fell on him a month or two ago, you know, like he's actually individually been fairly decent, uh, especially compared to where he was earlier this year over the last month or so. I I think it's most, I I think the the biggest slice of blame is the supporting cast, which was, you know, outside of LeBron Davis, and you can even throw Westbrook in that crew. Like he's closer to LeBron and Davis than he is the rest of the supporting cast, which was G league level, like not exaggerating. I mean, you have guys who, weren't going to make rosters elsewhere. You know, Avery Bradley types who were basically cut by multiple teams coming into the year. Uh, Like guys who just on paper, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Wayne Ellington. Like did Wayne Ellington play a minute for the Lakers this season? It it felt like he didn't, Uh, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, who you essentially chose over Caruso and or Kuzma. um, You know, he's been a disaster. You, you gave him an extension. Like he looks like one of the worst players in the league night to night. Uh, Dwight Howard is your starting center. Like the list goes on. Like the supporting cast is so, so bad. 
Um, and then, you know, I think blame number two is, is Anthony Davis missing half the season. Um, and then right there is, is Westbrook just, you know, being Russell Westbrook. But that's the thing is I, I, I think the, the expectation is, is the problem for the Lakers because a lot of people expected Russell Westbrook season to go like this. And somehow the Lakers, you know, just kind of missed the window on that. Yeah. And part of the issue here is like people, I mean, people, LeBron, Anthony Davis and Westbrook will point to injuries and be like, Oh, this is the reason we like didn't, you know, Oh, we could have been better, but there's some 500 team with those guys in the lineup. I was, yes, I was gonna, like, with those guys literally on the court together, they're minus three per 100 possessions. They're just a, a winning team if they were to play every, or losing team if they were to play every single minute of every single game together. Um, and I know people, like, people want to Le- blame LeBron for, like, wanting to bring Westbrook in. And I get that. And he deserves a lot of blame. On the other hand, the front office is ultimately, like, who made the decision to be like, yes, we are bringing Russell Westbrook in. And I think if you are the Lakers front office, you have to have a little bit more like uh, you have to think about, okay, LeBron wants us to bring in Westbrook and trade out all these role players who have generally played well for us and ultimately led us to a championship. LeBron wants us to do this. If we don't, what's going to happen? Is he going to leave? Is LeBron really going to leave LA? Like, is he going to make that much of a stink about it? So I, I think some of it's on the front office too for like caving to him when I don't think there is any chance that he leaves the Lakers in the near future. The Lakers feel like a fake franchise to me <laughs> at this point. Like it's, it's a, it, it's a storied franchise that has like a veneer on it for the last, what, I don't know, coming up on 15 years at this point. Like, I, I don't think other organizations take them seriously. I, I It's just like, blatantly obvious coasting on past reputation. Um, you know, I, 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 like every story that comes out of that front office is like borderline unbelievable. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people felt that LeBron just wanting to live in LA and having this image of himself being or bailed them out. And I, I think had that not happened, they were, they were probably just going to still keep losing. You know, I, I don't think Brandon Ingram develops into the player that he was there. I don't think Lonzo develops. Like you could make a, you can make a team of guys who left the Lakers from 2014 to 2020. And that team would be way better than this Lakers team. I mean, it, the, the talent development has been horrendous. Um, and it's, it's also amazing to me that like, I understood it, it went in LeBron's absolute prime, like that he basically had final say on the roster because he was that important. And he was that good that if he was on your team, you were basically guaranteed to go to the finals. So it, it was worth turning over personnel decisions to him. I don't think it's worth it at this point. And <laughs> You know, like when LeBron comes out and says, you know, I really respect Sam Presti. He's the best in the game. Sam Presti would have looked him in the eye and said, hell no, we are not signing or we are not trading for Russell Westbrook. Like, is that what he wants? Because if he allegedly wanted Westbrook, why would you want a GM who would tell you how bad of an idea that is? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I, 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 It's just a bad situation. I think I think I I understand if you are like. In almost every other year of LeBron's career, he was the one with all leverage. And I just felt like the Lakers did not realize that they actually had leverage this year or they have had leverage because I don't think like uh, I just don't think LeBron's going to leave L.A. Like maybe if his son gets into the league, like, yeah, then he, he leaves L.A. But he's I, think, like I think LeBron brainwashed them into thinking it was a good idea. I think they are. I think that front office is they're not professional basketball talent evaluators. They're like 
Right. You know, they're just stand-ins. They're, they work for the Lakers. They're like celebrities. They're not basketball evaluators. I think they said, this is LeBron James. He's the best basketball player in the world. He would know. We'll just let him pick. And time after time, LeBron has proven that he is a horrific talent evaluator. Like the players that he's handpicked to put around him more often than not have not worked out. And it's, you know, it's kind of those like ragtag rosters where, you know, you could just kind of have LeBron run point and have four shooters around him. Like that's when he's had the most success, at least in the regular season. Um, when you ask him to start handpicking his, you know, his running mates, it, it hasn't really turned out all that well. So I don't know. I think he needs somebody to tell him no. And I guess last time that happened, you know, in some ways was Pat Riley, where he kind of put his foot down in Miami and, and LeBron was out the door after four years. So yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's a complete mess. They've and the way that this team is constructed, like it's not like you can just blow it up and put a new team of stars around LeBron next year. I mean, this team, I, I think I, after they won the title in the bubble, I was I really thought LeBron maybe had a chance to certainly a chance to get to five titles and potentially, you know, get to six, depending on how things worked out. I mean, what are the odds right now that he wins another title uh, before the end of his career? I like, I don't know, 10 to one. Seems pretty low. Um, I, you know, I think it's not just, it's not just the Lakers. Like I think a lot of other teams have to kind of look at what's happening in the NBA and like, I, it just shouldn't be possible that like the Toronto Raptors are way better than the Lakers. Like it just doesn't like, I think we're at like this weird, maybe we're at a turning point in the NBA where it's like just very clear that fit and coaching and like buy-in of, of like significantly worse players can eat like easily results in better records. And like, maybe that's always been the case to an extent. Like, you know, I, I or maybe the, you know, maybe the 30th best player is way closer in talent to the fifth best player than was the case 20 years ago. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, like you said, they can't just blow it up. You probably not, but I think they have to look at, you know, exploring literally every option because LeBron's like a new phase in his career. Westbrook is like a new phase of his career. I don't even know what's going on with Anthony Davis anymore. Like how good, how good is he anymore? And can he ever stay healthy? Stuff like that. The Davis piece is, I think, maybe the most interesting question because for as much, you know, hate, I guess, for for lack of a better term or term that I can't say on this podcast, as LeBron is taking for this season, his legacy is is solidified. He is undoubtedly, you know, at worst, the second greatest player ever. That was decided probably before he even came to L.A. So, like, the, he doesn't really have that much on the line. But, man, I mean, Anthony Davis's reputation, like, think of where his reputation is now versus maybe right after they won the title or even when he first came to LA where it was like, is this LeBron's best teammate ever? This is such a perfect fit. I mean, I, this guy is like, even, even when healthy with how much talent is in the league, like he's not even a shoe in all-star anymore. No, I mean, t- two seasons ago, uh, he averaged like 21 and eight. Like it, he was it, terrible last season. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Last season, just a 22 and eight on 49% shooting. There are like 40 guys in the league that can do that. Um, and maybe not the defensive aspect of it. Like he's still obviously a very good defender, yeah. but I don't know, man. I, I would love to see LeBron. And this would be my final thought on this. And we can, you know, finally move on from our brief <laughs> Lakers postmortem. I would just, I would love to see LeBron. And I, I imagine this is what he always pictured. The end of his career would be on a, in a situation like Chris Paul, where lo and behold, last night against these very Lakers, Chris Paul, puts up double digit assists, plays 24 minutes in that game. And they, you know, they lead it from start to finish easy win. 
like LeBron has never once been on a team where he has not had to carry that team night in and night out whenever he's on the floor ever. He's never been on a team that where he can take a back seat or he can take a night off and they'll still be competitive. Like every single team he's ever been on has 100% depended on him to win games. And a lot of that is his own fault because he's, he builds these rosters that basically force him into that situation. But it's, it's just looking less and less likely. I, I thought when he came to LA, it was finally going to be an opportunity where like, Hey, this team has young talent. They have assets. They immediately blew all those assets on Anthony Davis. But like, how fun would it be to see LeBron, you know, on this, on that Suns team or on a team like the Raptors, like you mentioned, where there are right. other options. There are players of varying ages. Like not everybody is championship or bust. Like, I think the lack of patience is probably the biggest thing that has, has ended up hurting LeBron more than helping him throughout his entire career. Yeah, those um those Heat teams were like his coasting years, if there were any. Yeah, I mean, uh, they were, but they, they had no depth. N- no, not really. No, I'm looking at 2012-13. They won the title, won 66 games. You got a pretty decent season on a Wade playing 69 games. Bosch played 74. You had Ray Allen. Chalmers was fine for that team. After that, yeah, it was like bad yay. Like the. Well, you played 38 minutes a night. Yeah. Um, which is crazy. I think he would maybe coasting in those 39 minutes, but I, I don't know. It's 58% for the field is not like there's just so many weapons around him. Anyway, yeah. it's weird that like he needs to find that situation again. It's, it's just kind of bizarre that he ended up in that situation in the prime of his career where he basically had the ability to coast if he needed to. But now that right. he's 38, 37, uh, he's in a situation where, like, <laughs> he has to, like, carry the team just as much as he was when he was 23. Yeah. If not more so. And, and honestly, I mean, ironically, KD's in the same situation, too, where, like, his, his absolute peak basketball years he spent right. on the Warriors. And you know, I, I think was, was certainly able to coast there way more than LeBron was able to coast in Miami. And, you know, for, for diff- much different reasons. Like, I, I don't think KD really shoulders much of the blame here other than just maybe having bad choice and friends. Um, you know, now here, here he is like coming off of an Achilles, like having to play 40 minutes a night just to, to lock in a playing spot. Yeah. And I mean, I, the like LeBron, I think did it partially because he, I mean, like, I, you, he, you needed rings to be a part of, and you still do, to be a part of, like, that super echelon, upper echelon conversation. He's going against Michael Jordan, so I think he feels like he has to do that. But at the same time, then, and I think KD felt this way as well afterwards. It's like, okay, I'm going to do that in my prime. I'm going to get my rings in my prime. And then after that, maybe I'll transition to a spot where, like, I, I could have my own team again and still be in a position to win titles, but like maybe also pick up my own numbers again and, and show I still got it. But that time I think very quickly runs out, you know, at that point you're like 32, 33. And it's like, how much can you really do that? And then before you know it, you like, you need help again. I, but I also think these guys don't want to get caught in like a loop where it's like, well, it, you know, once you join a super team, you can never leave because you're there for so long. And it's like, uh, Oh, he needed a super team for his entire career. Um, I don't know, man. It's um, like I'm with you where I think LeBron's legacy is like extremely secure. And I think from here on out for him, it's just obviously you'd like another ring that that mean a lot for him. But it's just at this point, I think it is a number like a total numbers game for LeBron. How long can he play? How long can he average 20 points a game? Stuff like that. Yeah. And all this, I think 
sounds good on paper, you know, when you're, you're talking about the coasting and setting up your teams, but like, you're not accounting for what, well, I mean, they should have accounted for this, but you're not accounting for Anthony Davis missing 40 games every year, um, you know, trying to find this like mythical third star and, and settling on the worst possible choice. Like with Durant, you're not, you weren't planning for your teammate to refuse to get the vaccine. Like you should have seen the pandemic coming. We all know that. Um, like there's just so many factors, like on paper, all those decisions look great. You know, Paul George, like, Oh, I'm going to go to the Clippers team up with Kawhi. We'll be the best duo in the league. Kawhi tears his ACL, you know, second, second season in. Like there's just no way to plan for a lot of the things that end up derailing these runs. Um, all right, let's get, let's get to 2022, 23 first round candidates. And then we'll wrap this thing up. We'll, we'll have to hit on, uh, a couple of our other points on the next pod, but you and I both took uh, similar, but different looks at how to attack the first round in drafts next season. Uh, you kind of went through all of the, the potential first round picks from this last season, guys who made that leap, you know, like a DeJounte Murray uh, and jumped into that mix. And then, you know, kind of how you forecast uh, their, their fantasy stock uh, going into next year, you know, will it be higher? Will it be lower? Will it be about the same? Um, and, and meanwhile, I went through and, kind of tiered off uh, all my players who are in, in one league or another, you could conceivably draft them in the first round. And, and my, my list went pretty deep. I mean, there are some guys who will be drafted in very few first rounds. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of tried to include everybody who you can make a case for uh, based on either what they did this year or for guys who didn't play well this year or got hurt, uh, what they've done in years past. But uh, I'll, I'll let you lead this off and you could talk a little bit about the piece that uh, you wrote, which is up on Rotowire and on CBS today. Yeah, so I basically just went through, uh, grabbed all the names of the players who finished top 12 in either per game value or total value or uh, were drafted in the first round this season. So that list uh, ended up being, what, like 12, 15, like, you know, almost 20 players. And um, basically, I just went through, looked at all their per game values and was just trying to determine next year, should you draft these guys? above or below where they're ultimately going to finish this season in per game value. Um, some of these de decisions were really easy. Some of them were very difficult. Jokic number one to me was a no brainer. I don't even know how much it needs to be discussed. And then some guys like, you know, I had three, the next three were all lower for me. Like Kevin Durant, he ranked second. I'm saying draft him lower. The injury concerns are an issue. Like the total value stuff, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be lower because he can't stay healthy and the Nets should have a more cohesive team next season. Same with Embiid. Uh, same with LeBron to some extent. All those guys are great per game, but the injury concerns and age concerns for LeBron specifically are like still there. Yeah, we're essentially dealing with the same player pool. I think I went a little deeper uh, with some guys who yeah. stuck into first round consideration this year. Uh, and we're talking like LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, Fred Van Vliet. Like if you look at total value, those guys are right there. I, I think there's going to be some pretty big question marks as to whether they could keep that up. Like the idea of taking Tyrese Halliburton, I think he's 10th right now in total value. Like the idea of drafting him there next year seems crazy, but I don't know. I mean, if you took him there this year, you, you would have got a decent uh, return on your investment. So we'll talk about those guys in a bit. But yeah, I have, I have kind of the same same list of guys Um and I, I formatted mine a little bit differently, but uh, I, I, I have a list of fantasy studs with a catch was the the title that we settled on for that section. And for me, it was Doncic, Durant, LeBron, Kyrie, and Anthony Davis. And all, you know, four of those guys, it's, it's about injuries, you know, KD, LeBron, Kyrie, and, and AD. And then with Luca, I think there's still 
this disconnect between you know where he is as a as a real player versus a fantasy player because when you're taking a bunch of free throws and you're hitting them at like 74 percent it's it's just gonna i mean it's very similar to Giannis at this point honestly like they're they're not all that different when you look at their stat profiles or or their fantasy upside right yeah and Donja just started slow as well so th- that part of it was confusing to me as well or like kind of hard to parse out because he ranks 13th right now per game but he started horribly like his last 28 games, which is a pretty good sample, it's 32 points on 23 shots, nine and a half rebounds, eight and a half assists, 1.8 combined steals and blocks, which is very good, in 36 minutes. And it's not like the Mavericks are going to add anybody. So, yeah, like, yeah, his field goal free throw percentage isn't great. Maybe he starts slow again next year. Um, But for me, it's still like, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep drafting him. I'm going to keep drafting him in the first round. Like he's just going to keep yeah. going top 10, top five in most leagues because his upside is absolutely there. You're still getting one of the best like box score players in the NBA. So I, I in one of my tiers, uh, it was essentially my second tier, tier one being Nikola Jokic by himself. And there's, unless you're in a league that doesn't value scoring assists, rebounds, blocks, goal percentage, <laughs> like there's no argument to take anybody else at this point, which is, which is crazy. I mean, there's for a while, it felt like Harden was maybe in that zone, but yeah. I never remember it being that unanimous. Like there are still people that would prefer Curry or for a time would prefer KD or LeBron. Like I it's, it would be like, un, like unbelievable for someone to take anyone but Jokic in a draft next year, you know, barring something weird happening in the playoffs. I, yeah, I think if you really dove into the numbers in terms of like Z scores and stuff like that, there was a two year stretch where Harden was like, if you weren't, if you like, he was so clearly number one. Yeah. But obviously, you could still project like other guys to play better and him to play worse and stuff like that. But there was like a two year stretch, basically, like Jokic is on where it's like, this is the best player in fantasy by an insane margin. Um, and I think that's going to be, I like, sure, maybe like Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray coming back. That matters. It does. Because those guys, you know, Porter takes a ton of shots. Murray is a, he's kind of a shooting guard, but he's going to, he's going to take some usage. I still think, I mean, the fact that Jokic is as efficient as he is this season with him being essentially the only threat on that team, you know, he's going to have those guys to pass to. Maybe his assists go up. Maybe his field goal percentage goes even higher. I'm not really that worried about those guys coming back and like cutting into his usage. No, not at all. So in my tier below Jokic, I have uh, basically what I would consider like the safest picks. You know, if, if you're selecting between like two and eight, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, Trey Young, Jason Tatum, Stephen Curry, James Harden, Giannis. And then the guy I want to talk about, I ended up including him on the bottom of this tier rather than the tier that we just talked about with, with injured guys or you know guys who have holes in their stat profile. And, and that is Embiid. And in your article, you you also talked about Embiid, and your recommendation was to draft him lower than his current rank, which is third overall. Is that just like kind of playing the odds and saying like, what are the chances that he stays this healthy and is this dominant again? Because I, I kind of had that same discussion in my head of like, I you know like I I don't want to tell someone like don't take this guy in the top five and then he just dominates again next year. But if it's me and it's my team and there's money on the line or reputation on the line. I, I still find myself like almost crossing him out and just saying like, I want him to be good. I, this season has been really fun. I hope he plays 82 games every year, but I just have a hard time believing that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, my exercise was a little rigid. It's like, well, if I'm draft, if, if, if the option is third, I, I'm not going to draft him 
first, and I'm probably not going to draft him second. So it has to be lower. Yeah. But I, I think the the what really matters, obviously, is the explanation and that, yes, I'm just playing the odds that Embiid is not going to be this healthy again. This is a career high in games played for him at 66. And some people are going to look at his total production. And this is going to be important an important point that we should not bury when we write articles for next year. People are going to look at his total production for this season and go, hey, like Embiid was second in total production this year. Like he played 66 games. Okay. You have to remember that it was easy to forget the first half of the season, coronavirus still existed. And that guys were missing games left and right. And the amount of players that managed to not land in protocols and not get hurt, that's an extremely small list. So, yes, there are a lot of guys who are going to end up playing like roughly 60 games that have very high total production that typically would not be the case. Um, so I don't think it's great to like look at his total production this year and kind of say like, well, it doesn't matter if he gets hurt because he's just that dominant. When last year, I don't even know what you know. I don't even know what to use. Do you even use the 2019-20 season? Like, I don't think you can. I mean, yeah, and you can't go all the way back to 2018-19. Yeah, and if you do 2018-19, he played 64 games and right. he finished 13th. And so to me, yeah. maybe that's close to like where his ceiling is. Um, but I, I just couldn't draft. Like, I, I'm not going to be a guy that drafts Embiid top five. I'm a, I'll am ai take Embiid at the turn. Sure. Uh, but earlier than that, it's just really tough for me. i just rather not take that risk that early. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I, I think we're on the same page. Um, you know, I, I considered moving Giannis to my players with a catch tier. But to me, it feels like he even though the free throw percentage is probably just going to be where it is, you know, low 70s, like I, I, it's kind of hard to imagine him, you know, getting into the 80s at any point. Like that's just the profile that he has now. It's it's always going to prevent him from being a top five player, but he's so dominant in every other way. And he's so healthy and so durable that, you know, you're not like, if you take him third overall and he finishes eighth, you're not going to feel bad about that because there's going to be, you know, there's going to be three or four guys in that first round who either have, pull a Damian Lillard and get hurt or just don't have the season that you thought, like, even if he doesn't necessarily like return the investment or exceed the return on investment, he's always going to be really close. Like his floor is just so high to me that I have no problem. Um, even if it, even if there are players who maybe fit the format better, you know, if you're in a league that, that does count free throw percentage, which obviously most do, um, he's not a problem I, or he's not a player. I have a problem taking early just because everything else is, is so solid. Yeah, he's top 13 in each of the past 16 or past six seasons. Um, he was number three at one point per game, where basically, like, that was when his passing spiked. Yeah. And he wasn't really shooting threes, and his free throw percentage was nice. And that seems to be like the perfect mix for Giannis, where it's like he's just taking like two threes a game instead of five. Right. Um, well, and, and the fact that it's a known weakness, you can also combat it in the rest of your draft, you know, you can either lean into it and just say, all right, I'm just punting free throw percentage because yep. it takes so many, or you can use that to inform the rest of your picks. Like there's not, there's not like a bunch of question marks with him. It's like, we know what the weakness is and you can address it. Yeah. And that's the thing about rankings. It's like, they're not, they're not so rigid. It's like, you have to consider your league and like, is it Roto? Is it head to head categories? Like all that sort of stuff. Like I generally make these like they're Roto and you want the most balanced team possible. And in that case, like, yeah, Giannis is probably a back end first round pick instead of like a top five pick. Um, but obviously like if you draft in top five, you can, you like you said, you can lean into it or really correct for it. And I think it would turn out uh, fine. 
Okay, so I have a section in my article of four players who I've labeled proven stars who are set to bounce back. And, you know, they're, they're bounce back, I think, to various degrees uh, based on the players. But I have Damian Lillard, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Bradley Beal. All those guys are going to miss more than half of this season. Uh, in Kawhi's case, he's going to miss the entire regular season. Uh, Beal's, I think, is going to play like 40 games. You know, he's been out for a while. Um, and then Lillard and George, you know, just got hurt early and, you know, PG's back, but, you know, too little too late for him when it comes to fantasy. Of those four, I, I think I'm most confident in Lillard bouncing back and being a top 10 guy. Um, he's, I mean, he has like the best track record of almost anybody at this point. Top 20 player in each of his first nine NBA seasons, top 10 in a lot of those. Um, and, and the abdominal thing, like the everything that happened with the Blazers roster, like to me, it just felt like a reset season. And I, I'm pretty confident that at age 31, 32 next year, he should still be really good. Um, but yeah, Kawhi, PG, Bradley Beal, I, I have a lot more question marks about those guys. I, I'm interested to see your opinion on Beal more than anything, because I wrote in the article, like given the amount of talent in the league right now, I said it would not be surprising if he slips to the second or maybe even the third round in many drafts next year. Like, I don't know, would you confidently take him at the top of the second round? Uh, no. I would draft him higher than where he finished this year, which is 47. Of but course. my... Uh, I, I think he might be like a third round guy. Um, I, it, it's tough to say because just a very bizarre year for him. Putting it, I mean, you just put aside the injury. I mean, his uh, his shot attempts were down, his free throws were down, every efficiency metric was down. Yeah, his assists went up, but it, it just it wasn't enough to offset that. I don't think he's going to like keep sliding downward. I don't think this is like the beginning of the end for Beal. And I. Who knows, man? Like, I mean, they've put together like a competent team in his absence. Like, that, that team is not god awful since he got hurt. They've managed to like kind of keep things alive. So, I think Wes Unseld's a good coach. I think the Porzingis thing is kind of interesting. Maybe that actually helps Beal take some pressure off of him. Kuzma's kind of growing into his own a little bit. So, I think I think Beal is going to get drafted at the end of the second and early third round. And there is a chance that that's a steal, but I don't think it'll be like a league winning steal if you get him at the top of the third. No, I don't think so. I, I think he, I would be surprised, I, I should say, if going forward he has a season that was as good as his previous two. When right. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he was like eighth or ninth overall one of those years. Like I, I just, and part of it is just how good the league is. Like that's that's one thing I kept coming back to is like, you know, if you're talking about how far he could fall, it's like, would you rather draft Bradley Beal or DeJounte Murray or LaMelo Ball or Halliburton right. or Van Vliet? You know, I mean, even guys like De'Aaron Fox, you know, like Scotty Barnes, who knows how, how high he's going to climb next year. Like if you're not drafting Bradley Beal, you have so many other good options that it, you don't really have to force it. No, Beal's uh, previous three seasons, so 2018 through 2020, he was 13th, 11th, and 12th per game. So. I don't see where the justification to take him in the first round is. And so, yeah, I, you know, again, I think he's a, he's probably a second round guy is where he'll get drafted. Um, but you're right. I, I think it'd be crazy to take him over LaMelo or DeJounte Murray. Yeah. Well, let, let's get to those guys. I have them uh, in a tier of their own uh, at the bottom. I, I've labeled it young ascending fantasy stars. Uh, these are up and coming players who forced their way into the first round discussion with their elite 21, 22 production. And I would say all four names on this list as recently as a couple months ago would have been eye raisers, uh, certainly coming into this past year. If you took one of these guys in the first round, 
I, I think that would have drawn some ire. But I have DeJounte Murray, LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, and Fred Van Vliet in that category. And, you know, again, I, it, it, there's a little bit of, like, all these guys are young. So there's a little bit of, you know, we need to see it again. Like, are, are you going to take DeJounte Murray seventh overall next year? Like, you could. It, it might. There's a good chance it'll pay off for you. But there's also a good chance that a lot of things went right for him. Weird year for the Spurs. You know, maybe his numbers aren't, aren't quite this good. But when you start to look at it, like, I mean, I, I have it written here. Murray is first in the NBA in steals, fourth in assists, 21st in points, 29th in rebounds, third among guards. And he's, what, one and a half rebounds and 0.7 assists away from averaging a triple-double with two steals a game and shooting 46%. So yeah. it's like you could say, like, yeah, it's a, it's a flash in the pan. But, I mean, even if you bake in, like, 10 15% regression, like, that's still an elite season. I agree, man. He was, like, he was maybe the toughest – Toughest part of my the exercise I did because he finished tenth, and I'm like, you know, he's 25 years old. He should be getting better. I don't think the Spurs are suddenly going to be like adding someone in the offseason that's taking away usage from him. Um, yeah, and it's not like he's putting up 35 a night. You know, it's like he's still right. He's basically playing the same way that he's played the last couple of years, just better. Yeah, and so for me, I said draft him lower than that, but really only because. 10th is pretty high, and I think it's just going to be difficult. Like, when you're sitting down to draft and DeJounte Murray's on the board and also, like, Jason Tatum is on the board, like, I, I think they're just going to be – like, ch- chances are when you're considering him, there are also – there are other – there are all NBA caliber guys and multi-year top 10 fantasy finishers also on the board. So I think it's just going to be hard to take him over those guys. So I think he's going to slip into the early second but probably the very early second. Cause there's, you know, there's a chance you're going to be looking at like him or <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how people feel about Harden, but there's a chance you're going to be looking at like DeJounte Murray or James Harden or, uh, you know, Carl Anthony towns. And it's like, at some point I, I just, I'm not going to be there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you don't want to be a year late, but you also don't want to jump the gun. I mean, if you had him this year, one of the biggest bargains of the entire season. Like yeah. His ADP and, and Yahoo leagues was like 50.8, which is crazy. Like that seems, that seems insanely late, but um, I mean, what, what a bargain you got there. I mean, you're basically like what five rounds ahead uh, of where he was going. What are your thoughts on LaMelo, Halliburton, Van Vliet? Um, I mean, of those three, Van Vliet has the best track record, but also has a, a glaring flaw in his profile as a guy who just shoots like 38 to 40% every year. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I put Van Vliet at the back of this list. If these four guys are a list and I had to draft them in order, Van Vliet's in the back. Partially because of his age. There are other guys on his team that are taking a tongue of usage these days. You mentioned his flaws, I think, as a uh, a shooter, which I don't think are going to get better with age. He's a very small point guard. So he's going to be driving to the rim more uh, as he gets older. Uh, Halliburton I, and LaMelo, man. Halliburton's 22nd per game. But that also takes into account, like, obviously, his large amount of the season in Sacramento. Since he joined the Pacers, he's basically 17 and 10 on stupid efficient shooting, plus two and a half combined steals and blocks. The Pacers, I don't know if they'll have a worse record than they did this year because 25 and 55 is awful, but they should be rebuilding again. And there's a chance to get rid of Brogdon and maybe Turner's off the team. And Halliburton could end up the focus of this rebuild. And he, he might just turn into like a 24 and 10 guy every single night, 
with good defense, which would be insane. Um, and LaMelo is, I, I guess, in a similar situation, right? He's 20 years old, putting up basically 28 and 7 with a steal and a half every night. And, like, his field goal percentage is still only 43%. So there's going to, you assume, improvement there. He'll probably start getting the free throw line more. He's, LaMelo's only still seeing 32 minutes a game. So it's like there's a scenario where LaMelo gets better. Uh, so he, he's more efficient and is putting up bigger numbers because he gets more of a usage share because he's better and he's playing more minutes because he's better. So there is a ch- – and then he's only 20 again. So it's like there's a shot where LaMelo just has like an insane year next year. Yeah, I, I wrote it in the article. Like if he can improve on that field goal percentage just a little bit, he's at a, a little under 43% right now. I mean, he could very easily be a top five guy for a long time. You know, you don't think of him as a great defender, and he's really not, but he gets a bunch of steals, you know, high-volume three-point shooting. Like, once Curry moves on, I think he's going to be the guy, you know, that that is, like, leading the league in, in made threes. Um, I, I think he's his season has almost been a little bit underrated from a fantasy perspective. I think so, yeah, because it just – it was just marginal improvements from his rookie year. Right, he's he's up like four points a game. He's up like an assist and a half, one rebound, same amount of steals and blocks. So it's very subtle, but all those things together just raise him. That rose him like forty spots compared to his rookie year. And you just think if he makes any sort of improvement and again gets more minutes, because a lot of these guys on this list are playing like thirty six to thirty eight minutes a game, which is unbelievable given like how much of a focus there is now on like resting guys. Uh, so when you see you know, when you're looking at these numbers too, when you're like trying to decide who to draft in fantasy, it's like, check out the minutes from last season. Like if these guys, if anyone you're looking at conceivably can get three to six more minutes per game plus increased usage, that's like a huge, that's a huge uh, green flag. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like the opposite of a red flag. Draft that guy. <laughs> I think green flag. Yeah, I think that works. Okay. All right, man. Uh, we got to get out of here. I, although I, one interesting note that just came across uh, the newswire as we were recording Matisse Thibel, uh, the, the Philadelphia 76ers are playing at Toronto tomorrow. He is listed on the injury report as ineligible. Oh, and, uh, no. as you may be aware, as you may be aware, the Sixers currently sit in fourth and the Raptors currently sit in fifth. So that would be a first round matchup. Hmm. Uh, I think we, we can leave that one where it is. We all know the situation there. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll end on that note. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Thank you.